Welcome back to Big Sky Buckets. I'm Big Sky, and today we're talking the game from last night, Cavs and Kings. A, because I haven't talked about the Kings very much yet, and B, because there's a lot going on with the Cavs that I did not see coming this year. Before we get into it, if you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing. I would really appreciate that. Giving a like, commenting down below what are your opinions on my opinions, and if you're an audio-only listener, giving it a rate, giving it a listen, and let's jump right into it. We're going to start with the Kings, and then we're going to go to the Cavs. Before we jump into it, I want to say I believe that I was wrong in my Power Rankings video. I omitted one win from the Kings on Friday's playing tournament game against Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't know how I missed that, but I did say that they would rise in my rankings once De'Aaron Fox got back. Well, he's back, and they look incredible. They look great. They look great. They look like they're picking up where they left off from last year, and they looked that way at the beginning of the season, but De'Aaron Fox is the guy for this team, and this is going to sound dumb as hell to say, but this team looks significantly different from when they have their best player and when they don't have their best player, which to most of you is really, really stupid to say out loud, but it's true. His gravity is... It was said best by Mark Jones, the announcer for the Kings. He does uh, ESPN games as well, like nationally televised games as well. But he did say like the, the team plays their role better when he's in, in there. And there were multiple times in this game that it's very apparent that's true. Swipa is him for sure. I love watching him play. This team plays super free when he's here. Uh, one of the main reasons for that is, and I'm shocked at the, when we get to the Cavs, you'll understand where I'm coming from here, but he plays, when he takes a step past the three-point line, so in, he's now in mid-range, the entire defense, regardless of the fact that the, the, the Cavs have two rim protectors starting, the guards, the wings, and the big men all collapse in the paint. And I understand that you don't want De'Aaron Fox to get whatever he wants, but this team is designed around the fact that he and Sabonis essentially will facilitate to all of the catch and shoot players on this team, which there are a lot of. There are a couple of, you know, create off the dribble guys like Malik Monk, who is just super fascinating to watch because when he has it going, he just looks completely unguardable. And then when he doesn't, it's just kind of like, damn. One of those nights, huh? Yeah, this team looks great. From the way I'm talking, they did in fact win. They won 132 to 120, which is great. Um, the main thing here is as Deer and Fox starts to get back into the flow of things, he scores from all three levels now. The, the major jump that happened last year was the three-point shooting was starting to become a major factor in his game, which had not been... In the past, he's also definitely one of the fastest players in the league. So when he's out in transition, it's awful, and you don't want that to happen uh, if you're the, the defense. Sabonis is trying to extend his range, and this is really important for when they get to the playoffs. But for right now, this is really good, too, so that, you know, he's great at facilitating getting rebounds. He's not the best defender. So if he can extend that range a little bit, he makes the offense here, which, again, I talked about in the Power Rankings video. Their game is facilitated on the fact that if they don't have incredible offense, this team is probably not going to be that good. Now, they've gotten, I, ha I have noticed this game around, 
They're trying a little bit more on defense. It's not as awful defensively as it has been in the past, but it's still not great enough to offset what their offense was without De'Aaron Fox. But now you're starting to see the real team here. And of course, it's going to be like this with De'Aaron. But Kevin Herter started shooting the ball better again. Uh, Malik Monk was incredible this game. They're... Greek MVP rookie, uh, Sasha Vezenkov, looks really fun. I um, The stats probably don't indicate how good he can be, but I like him on this team. There's just a lot of pieces here that just fit so well. Keegan Murray looks great in his second year. There's no surprise there. They just, they, it, they're so fun to watch. They play with so much freedom. Mike Brown just enables them to do whatever the hell they want offensively. And he's trying his best to get these guys to play like inspired defense. And I respect that a lot. I just think uh, there's not too much to talk about here. They're, uh, they're getting it going. They're two games above 500. So this is big for them. And now they got De'Aaron Fox back. They should get even better. We will monitor this team as we progress. But it just feels like they're picking up where they left off from, from last year. I, I really want this to be an upbeat video after yesterday's. And I can talk about the pick and rolls, the crazy swing passes they do. They just are so fun to watch. But the real story here is with Cleveland. Even like they put up a fight. Cleveland did put up a fight a lot of this game. But the Kings, as you know, in Sacramento, it... Their arena has like the best, they have the best fans. Let's be honest. They have gone through so much hell and are finally a good team again. Their fans care. There's not any other pro sports in Sacramento. So this is where they get to be as loud as humanly possible. So it is actually, there is a home field advantage here. So I can't wait to talk about a Kings game that's on the road, but I, it's not, to me, that's not gonna make that much of a difference, but just know they are back. They're starting to go on full force. And then the only major kind of tweak here is that it looks like Davion Mitchell might have fallen out of rotation. So that's something to keep an eye on. But otherwise, you know, JaVale McGee is actually playing well and Alex Lynn is playing well. Like all of these guys, every role player, they just play well because this offense just, you're, you feel, in, when you watch them, you can tell these guys feel inspired to play basketball just by playing in this offense or with these players under this coach. It's a great feeling. The Cleveland Cavaliers. I just read an article from like Locked On Cleveland or one of, one of the one of the beat writers from Cleveland just saying the vibes are really bad. Uh, Donovan Mitchell earlier when they got off to a really bad start said give give us ten games and we'll come back to this. Well, last night was the tenth game and they are under two games, three games under 500 now. This is not great. They're, what's crazy here is like the Cavaliers in like the past week have beat the Golden State Warriors twice, obviously at home and obviously in Golden State. But then, you know, again, like, and I'm not even saying they played bad. There's just certain things that I didn't like and a lot of this I want to say falls actually on the coach. And I, I wanna get into not their offensive scheme, but their defensive scheme, because that's when defensive scheme and rotations are the stuff where I kind of realized there is definitely a problem here. First of all, I want to give all the credit in the world to Donovan Mitchell. He is being asked to do a lot more this year, even with Darius Garland back. 
he is still a high-level facilitator for this team, which is not something he's had to do in the past as much. And I give him credit for being the leader of this team and doing what he needs to do to try and win. He's trying to play as good of winning basketball as he can. A lot of this does fall onto some of their role players. And I, I had talked about this before, where I was just like, Donnie needs more help. Well, Darius Garland is back. Evan Mobley is still there. Karis LeVert is back. They also got Jared Allen back from injury. So they're the main starting five here. Max Struess and then, you know, the usual suspects. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley in your front court. And Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell in your back court. This was a team that basically won 50 games last year. For I don't know how they are under three games under 500. And, and the shocking thing here is just like, the, the, like this feels like there's a different team every time they play. It's a, they are a different team. And I want to, I'm going to move the mic a little bit closer. I want to say something. I think, so I'm going to start this off and then we're going to explain. I'm going to explain why. I think that last year's playoffs was so bad from a coaching perspective of not adjusting the correct way. Because that's basically what it turned out to be. As time progressed, you realize the Knicks have not changed a damn thing since they changed it like one time. I think it was such a bad job that it probably left the team deflated after such an incredible regular season. And that 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 can typically happen. It's normally a team will play better than they did, but when they are a 50 win team and then you get you win one time in an entire playoff series and then you go home. And I think the reason that is why the team feels a little bit more deflated is that I think they're starting to lose confidence in their coach and this is a coach that is really good in the regular season for the most part he has been in the past but I would say in the past two years now they were in the play-in tournament two years ago and they lost to Brooklyn and that's okay that's when Kevin Durant and Kyrie were playing very well and then they got Molly Watt by Boston but they lost to the Nets and it's like okay we just need to win one more game we'll be the eighth seed and will play Miami, who cares? And this is where it became kind of evident that there might be an issue with this coaching, but it was too early on. It was too early on, they're only, but they played my Atlanta Hawks and in the first half they played phenomenal. And then the second half, there was literally no adjustment made to the fact that they could not stop Trey Young ever. They couldn't. Trey Young basically single-handedly won that game in the second half. Um, so then, you know, next year happens, you get Donovan Mitchell, and then you go to New York and you just shit the bed super hard. Like you play New York, you shit, shit the bed super hard. So now let's break down their de the defensive scheme that I kind of inferred about with the Kings. I have no earthly clue why in the world you would pack the paint when you have two rim protectors and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. When, when De'Aaron Fox is attempting to get to the rim, and DeMontis Bonus is still there. Evan Mobley is the guy you just want on him. You do not need Donovan Mitchell in there as well. You do not need Darius Garland in there as well. And you don't need Max Drews basically on his way to help you pack the paint. Because you know that the Kings like to pass the ball and get open shots. Second of all, as a fan of a team that likes to stagger their guards because they basically are playing two guards to start and then don't have a backup point guard this team doesn't they have Tristan Thompson and in the games they don't really want to play Tristan Thompson at the backup five which happens some in this game they play George's Niang 
who is 30 years old. His nickname is the Minivan. He is a power forward, small forward, and the major thing here, the thing that just can't be overstated in my eyes, he is 6'7". Why is he playing backup five? And again, the Kings don't have the greatest centers, but DeMontis Sabonis is a really good one, regardless if he's not a major rim pressuring or major stretch five big. He's just the gravity of him passing and get and you know being a little bit suave to get like spin moves, all that to get to the rim. It, getting layups is fine. Like that's good. But they also have JaVale McGee and Alex Lynn, who are not great players, but they're seven feet tall. That is their center rotation. So 6'10", 7 feet, 7 feet. Why the hell is a 6'7 guy guarding them? And the problem I have here is it's so simple, and you've had an entire year of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And when Jared Allen was out, you had Evan Mobley to start the center position, which means I know it's the regular season. You shouldn't overload minutes. I am shocked at the concept that you wouldn't stagger their minutes. But you start them, and then once you make the first rotation, you take one out and sit them down, and that person plays the starting center position, and then the next one comes in and plays. If you're not going to play Tristan Thompson, and you want to play George's Niang there, which, again, means you're staggering his minutes to not play the, his actual position. And I guess that's because you want to go five out, but I... I that's too small of a t that's really like one of the smallest teams in the league if that's the concept here. Um, the next thing, and this is the big thing, and this is kind of where I want to end off before I get back to the like we're gonna be real happy by the time we end this. This the reason they feel bad after this game where the vibes are really bad, and I want to I, I want to express this in a way for everyone to understand sports in general is about competing at the highest level because you do not get to this position if you do not want to win more than anything in the world. There are some guys that get to this level and just want to get paid and that's all good and well. For a team that is a playoff caliber, that should be a playoff caliber team, they are typically led by guys that want to win no matter what. At three minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Kings were up by 13 points. Three minutes in a high-octane game that's not playing great defense on either side. Kings a little bit better, somehow. This is an easy—you can get back in the game. The get, it's a game of runs. You call a timeout, you run some plays, and you can swing in your way. But for some odd, just brain-numbing reason, J.B. Bickerstaff, at three minutes left in the game— pulled his entire starting five. Not like one of them to switch the rotations. Not a couple of them because it's like, oh, well, this guy's hot, so maybe these... He just gave up. And I think for the players, that's not... That's kind of disrespectful to their efforts. They might have not played the best they've ever played. Some players might not have played as good as other. Like, all of that. It feels disingenuous to have your coach kind of say, I gave up. That's bad, but more so than anything, it kind of indicates to me, and I might be reading too, in, too into this, that he just didn't believe that the, their starting five could come back and win with three minutes left in the game. I've seen it happen before. This is a team, like, you have Donovan Mitchell. He, he's a high-level player. You have Darius Garland, and when he gets hot, he, he gets hot. 
Um, and you got a lot of those guys. Karis LeVert is definitely one of those players. And this is kind of where I want to get to is I wouldn't be surprised if J.B. Bickerstaff is not the head coach by the end of the season. Dependent on how well they do. Because A, he ha- he will have to be the scapegoat. But to be honest, I've already kind of thought about him as a coach, specifically in a playoff setting. But if they're bad in a regular season setting, then he's going to get scorched. They don't have a lot of assets. They can't go out and make a major trade. That's not in the cards. They need to make the playoffs. They need to make a run in the playoffs so that Donovan Mitchell will sign an extension, which I've talked about him probably not doing. This is a bad sign for that. And this is a bad sign for going all in and you lose in the first round and then the vibes are just kind of, you're high when you beat Golden State. And then it just drops down as like, right. This is the kind of shit that I had to deal with last year with these fucking Hawks of like, Oh, we won a game. We're above 500 now. Oh, we lost a game. We're, we're at 500. Oh, we lost another game. We're below 500. Oh, we won a game. We're at 500. Where it's like, stop with the inconsistency here. Like, night in, night out should be the same level of team, but it doesn't feel that way with the Cavs right now. I mean, I really am trying to express, I've liked what Evan Mobley is trying to do offensively. He needs to get better at it, but I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to get better. He's good defensively. Jared Allen is good defensively. He's basically a younger Clint Capella. Like, you can't ask for much more offensively. He's a run and dunk man. Like, you got to get it through your head. He gets rebounds. He tries to get stops and blocks. For Donovan, he's doing more than he's ever had to do in any system ever by being, like, a, a major facilitator as well as a major scorer. He's not a great defensive player, but, like, you, you live with that. Darius Garland probably could be doing better, but he's just inconsistent as well. And then, like I've always talked about as the major crux, is that this team would probably be significantly better if they had a high-level two-way small forward or wing player at the three to connect the front and backcourt. But that is not in the cards. So that means it's up to J.B. Bickerstaff to figure this out. And right now, I do not like what I'm I'm seeing from J.B. Bickerstaff. This is two games where I've talked about the Cavs' losses. I would love to come on here and talk about one of their wins when they're on a win streak, but the vibes that they're giving off, plus what I'm seeing from the coach, rotations, defensive scheme, all of that, I don't love it. And I think that this is something truly to actually monitor. This is not some big sky. You're looking too in, into this. It's, it's not that deep. It's only 10 games in. We're 10 games in. They're un- three games under 500. For a team that was supposed to take a massive leap with Evan Mobley leap, like knowing their system, knowing their roles, and having a fire lit under their ass after such an embarrassing playoff exit. And that's not happening. And if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm probably really pissed off. I don't know how Cavs fans view J.B. Bickerstaff. If you're a Cavs fan, you stumble upon this video, would you please let me know what how you view this coach. I, I just want to know if I'm dead wrong and you really love this coach and I'm being too critical of him. Because from my eyes, it seems like that move with the three minutes left, that was a bad decision. That's giving up and you shouldn't do that. They still can bounce back. I believe in this Cavs team. I, I believe in Donovan Mitchell. I'll tell you that. Always have high level player, big time player. Um, And you know, Shout out to the Kings. Welcome back to Aaron Fox. Swipe a 
Fast Man, Mr. Foxy. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a fun game. I just, that last part really pissed me off as a fan. Just not, that's not, pissed me off as a fan. It's like, also as a fan of some of these players, you know, like just feeling mad of like, they want to win. So like, I want to see a real good game, but yeah, that's about it. Thank you guys so much for watching, listening. Like, comment, subscribe, all of that. Let me know, was I being too harsh on JB Bickerstaff? And yeah, I think tomorrow we're going to talk uh, some play-in tournament, and I'll give you a little bit of my thoughts of some college, because I'm going over to my friend Joe's. We're going to watch some college hoops, and I'll have some of the play-in tournament on my laptop and all that good stuff. But thank you guys, and I will see you tomorrow. Peace.